this is damn interesting. Headphones recommended. As a choir master in 1870s Salzburg, Innocenz Ockleitner often saw sheet music treated in a less than reverent manner. It might be scattered across a composer's desk, crammed into vocalists' folios, or even marred with personal notes about bowings or breath marks. Never before, however, had he seen it wrapped around vegetables. Only about 80% of men at the time were literate enough to sign their own name. So it's possible Ockleitner's greengrocer didn't recognize what the marks on his packing material meant, especially since each page stretched roughly 80 centimeters tall and resembled something more like newsprint rather than a standard sheet of music. The choir master knew better, of course, and quickly convinced his grocer to hand them over. Thus, by a coincidence of his shopping schedule, Ockleitner happened to rescue the Missa Salisburgensis, or Salzburg Mass, known today to be the largest surviving composition from the Baroque era. It would come to be recognized as one of the most important historical works of music, and it would certainly cement its composer's place as a master at the forefront of the era, if experts could figure out who wrote it. Now that it was safely in his hands, Ockleitner could see that the work's expanse was perhaps the least impressive thing about it. The score called for no fewer than 53 parts divided into seven ensembles. It made heavy use of antiphony, a form of call and response between competing sections of the orchestra, and frequently regrouped instruments to create impromptu trios and duets within the larger melodic themes, like eddies in a river. Such complex layering would have been impressively forward-thinking even in Ockleitner's day, and these yellowed pages were clearly much older than that. Ockleitner carefully delivered the manuscript to the scholars at the Cathedral Music Association and Mozarteum. This institution, often referred to as simply the Mozarteum, had been established only a few decades earlier by the widow of the famous Wolfgang in order to preserve the ancient musical history of Salzburg. It boasted some of the most skilled musical archivists in the region, and they confirmed that this was a never-before-seen piece which they believed to have been written in 1628 by the Italian composer Orazio Benevoli. Unfortunately, the Salisburgensis then quickly sank back into obscurity, even after having been lost for two centuries and narrowly escaping a permanent vegetative state. Without performance, it's questionable if music even is music, and many ancient works sit relatively unknown in museums around the world, the symphonic equivalent of a tree falling in the forest, waiting for someone to invest in the cost of publication. Such was the fate of the Salisburgensis for another 100 years, 
until a young Ph.D. named Ernst Hintermeyer stepped in, not to honor Orazio Benevoli, but to prove the Mozartium wrong. The Missa Salisburgensis first came to Hintermeyer's attention in 1969, when it was published for the first time as part of a collection of Benevoli's works. Tucked in among the historical notes was the Mozartium archivist's assertion that the original mass was an autograph, that is, written in the composer's own hand. As a musicologist whose doctoral research had focused on the Salzburg court, Hintermeyer did not especially know the oeuvre of an Italian such as Benevoli, but he was intimately familiar with the manuscript libraries in Salzburg, so familiar, in fact, that he had come to recognize the handwriting of the various composers and scribes whose work was held there, and he knew the Salisburgensis was definitely not written in Benevoli's hand. Instead, the handwriting resembled the work of a man identified only as copyist number three, a scribe who was responsible for many other works in the Salzburg archives. Placed side by side, the match was undeniable. This did not yet call the Mass's provenance into question, since the music may still have flowed from Benevoli's mind, if not his pen. But copyist number three had been professionally active in Salzburg only during the last third of the 17th century, about 50 years after the Mass was supposed to have been written. It was still possible, albeit by a slim margin of years, that an elderly Benevoli had hired the copyist to transcribe the Salisburgensis immediately before his death. At the very least, the Mozartium had missed the origin date by half a century. The handwriting's implications did not stop there. A second unattributed mass named the Missa Bruxellensis had recently been discovered in the Royal Library in Belgium, and it contained the same ordered layout and penmanship as the Missa Salisburgensis. Based on the assumption that the Salisburgensis was in Benevoli's writing, the academic world had accepted that the somewhat smaller Bruxellensis was his as well. The pieces certainly matched stylistically, with the Bruxellensis again employing antiphony and regrouping, and generally possessing an instrumentation so complex that a modern scientist might compare it to a fractal. Even with the latest revelations about copyist number three, it seemed indisputable that the two masses had been composed by the same person, regardless of whether composer and transcriber had been a matched pair instead of a single individual. Hintermeyer went on to examine the Bruxellensis. This time, he didn't focus on who had put pen to paper, but rather the paper itself. Like branded cattle on a farm, paper mills at the time used watermarks to identify the location and owner of the mill where the paper was produced. Though the Bruxellensis had somehow made its way to Belgium, both masses were printed on paper from the Lengfelden Mill near Salzburg. The watermark was a stylized wildman escutcheon wearing a loincloth and helmet, which had been in use from about 1650 to 1800. Closer inspection revealed that the Salisburgensis bore the initials F.W. for Franz Wurz, in charge of the mill from 1666 to 1696, 
while the Bruxellensis watermark read IW to indicate Josef or Joseph Wurtz, the son of Franz, who ran things from 1696 to 1702. Thus, while the Salisburgensis could have been written as early as 1666, still in the last few years of Benevoli's life, the Bruxellensis was undeniably from 1696 or later, almost a quarter of a century after his death. If the same person composed both masses, as everyone agreed, then Benevoli didn't compose either of them. They had been orphaned once again. With the help of the watermarks, the date range had been firmly established, and the Mozartium's attribution successfully refuted on all accounts. Hintermeyer's greatest challenge now lay in proving the true authorship of these remarkable pieces. Despite the Bruxellensis sojourn into Brussels, it seemed most likely that the composer had lived and worked in Salzburg. Both the paper mill and the copyist resided there, and had been utilized by the mystery composer over the course of several decades. More generally speaking, the city had been a musical nexus for centuries, home to 18th-century greats like Mozart and Haydn, but also modern ones like Christian Doppler and Herbert von Karajan. And there were only so many places in Europe where a piece as large as the Salisburgensis could have amassed enough musicians and singers to perform it at all. After careful analysis of the composers in the area during the time the masses were printed, only two candidates emerged, either Andreas Hofer or his protege, Heinrich Ignaz Franz Bieber. Both of these men worked for the Prince Archbishop Maximilian Gandalf in the Salzburg court in the latter half of the 17th century. Hofer was made Kapellmeister, or Director of Music, in 1666, and he took an immediate liking to Bieber when the younger violinist arrived at court a few years later. Bieber was promoted to Vice Kapellmeister in 1679, and the two worked even more closely together until Hofer's death five years later. Both were composing music during the years of the Salisburgensis and the Bruxellensis, both were in a professional position to stage them for performance, and both had the talent, theoretically, to create works of such magnitude. Hintermeyer laid out the evidence for each. Nothing of Hoffer's was ever lost, whereas it seemed nearly everything Bieber ever created was lost for some length of time. A total of nine compositions survive by Hoffer, with no contemporary documents, such as library catalogues, indicating the titles of other works that may have been misplaced or destroyed. By comparison, Bieber was exceedingly prolific, with 145 separate pieces surviving today, both large and small, with evidence of roughly 100 additional lost works. Oddly enough, the simple fact that the Salisburgensis and the Bruxellensis had been lost in the first place was a slight mark in Bieber's favor. Despite the limited number, all of Hoffer's works were large-scale, and two were masses like the ones Hintermeyer was attempting to attribute. Bieber's compositions, on the other hand, ranged practically everywhere, from sonatas and ensembles to cantatas and requiems. But among his large-scale pieces, there were no fewer than eight masses, and many of them relied heavily on antiphony and ensemble regrouping, just as the two unlabeled masses did. The men's careers matched their respective bodies of work. Hoffer's career was minimalist and straightforward, while Bieber's read on the grand, winding scale of a classic underdog genius.
Bieber had been serving as musician and personal valet to a bishop in the Moravian town of Kromjezich, when, at the age of 26, his master sent him on a trip across the country to buy instruments from a particular violin maker. The merchant waited for young Bieber to arrive, but he never did. Instead, Bieber repurposed his traveling funds to go to Salzburg, where he managed to secure a personal audition with the Prince Archbishop. His Holiness was probably unaware of Bieber's recent abandonment of his post, but given the obvious talent before him, it's possible that he hired Bieber in spite of it. Bieber's ability to innovate showed itself immediately. Within his first few years in Salzburg, he dedicated a collection of sonatas to his employer that would eventually become one of his most famous works. After, of course, it became lost for hundreds of years and was rediscovered and published in 1905. Meant to symbolize the 15 so-called Mysteries of the Rosary, the Mystery Sonatas feature a technique called scordatura, which calls for a deliberate mistuning of the strings in order to play chords that would otherwise be difficult to impossible on a given instrument. This creates a cognitive dissonance for the trained musician, as the fingers play one note, but the ear hears another. Of all the musical inventions during the Baroque era, scordatura was perhaps the most revolutionary. And yet, Bieber was not content to merely keep pace with his contemporaries. He demanded a different tuning for each individual sonata, and in the climactic piece known as the Resurrection, Sonata 11, he even required two of the violin strings to be crossed above the fingerboard and below the bridge, placing the higher-pitched string below the lower. Modern-day performances, when they are attempted, are usually accomplished by laying out over a dozen pre-tuned violins to be used in quick succession. It was also during his early years in Salzburg that Bieber composed his famed Battaglia, in which he once again pushed the boundaries of not only what instruments could play, but how they could be played at all. Bieber instructed his musicians to beat the strings with the wooden backs of their bows to evoke gunfire. Weave paper among the strings to make a bass sound like a snare drum, and play popular folk songs off-key and on top of each other to simulate a crowd of drunkenly singing soldiers. Far beyond what could be called Baroque, these techniques are more usually associated with modernist composers of the 20th century. His Sonata Representativa attempted to imitate the sounds of animals, while his Sonata Sancti Policarpi was written for eight trumpets plus one timpani, all at a time when simply allowing an orchestra to play without singers was considered so revolutionary that it could be described as Baroque instead of Renaissance on that basis alone. 
Bieber's mentor Hoffer, on the other hand, played a supporting role at best within the Baroque movement. His masses, while large enough to be in the same league as the Salisburgensis and Bruxellensis, were otherwise standard compositions for the era. It was Bieber who routinely strained conventions to their limits, and it seemed apparent that the skill and stylistic brashness needed to pull off a piece as complex as the Missa Salisburgensis were his as well. Hintermeyer ultimately left the door open for others to judge, but subsequent scholars have all agreed that both it and the Bruxellensis were composed by Bieber, while simultaneously acknowledging for the first time his many musical innovations. It may have taken hundreds of years to rediscover each one's existence, but often the original inspiration came decades or even centuries before the men generally credited for the idea. Bieber wrote his Passacaglia for solo violin 44 years before Bach's famous solo violin sonatas, and created the sounds of war with Bartok Pizzicato, that is, plucking the string so hard it snaps back against the instrument, nearly 250 years before it was named after Bartok. The 18th century musicologist Charles Burney called Bieber's work the most difficult and most fanciful of any Baroque composer, while Paul Hindemith wrote in the early 1900s that Bieber was second only to Bach. Even the violin maker, whom Bieber had snubbed in his youth, described him later as the superb virtuoso Herr Bieber, and the Bishop of Cromigiche seems to have forgiven him almost immediately for seeking greater fortune. It probably helped that Bieber never forgot his humble origins. Much of his work in Salzburg was dedicated to his former master and sent back to Kromjezich to be preserved in the archives there. As for how so many of his works in Salzburg became lost, or how the Misa Salisburgensis ended up in a grocer's scrap pile, no one knows. But Kromjezich seems to be the chief location where Bieber's works were not lost after his death. Sitting quietly among these protected pieces is also the earliest extant opera ever composed in Salzburg, and the only opera of Bieber's that survives, though he is believed to have written many. For one of the Baroque era's finest composers, who had waited so long to receive due recognition, its title seems oddly prophetic. Chi la dura la vince, or Those who endure will win. This episode of Damn Interesting was both written and narrated by our newest contributor, Jennifer Noonan. Sound designed by me, Alan Bellows. If there was too much classical music in this episode, it's all my fault. The editors were C.H. Hung and Alan Bellows. Leave us a review on iTunes, Jessica. You too, Michael. The rest of you are off the hook this time. This was Damn Interesting. Damn Interesting. 